1: Hello everyone, this is Ricardo Colla, Director of Digital Food Science with Ripe.io and the host of this podcast, Know Your Food. In our current series, we are bringing experts from across the food system to discuss food safety and food security during the COVID-19 emergency. And today we are going to discuss the impact on farming, the most essential part of the food supply chain. It's a great pleasure to welcome Jim Ward, owner of uh, Ward's Berry Farm, a family farm located in Sharon, Massachusetts. Welcome Jim and thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. and Hello. Yes. uh, before diving into the topic, I just wanted to start uh, by asking if you can tell us briefly about uh, your farm, uh, the products you grow, and, and where you sell it.
0: Sure. Um, I farm. My dad started the farm in 1981. My brother and I have been running it since 1985, uh, and it is a... a suburban farm where we grow on approximately 200 acres fruit and vegetables and just about all we can grow in these in our climate we do grow and we market it uh through primarily our farm store initially and now we have a pretty well-developed uh rest group of restaurants most of them whom are serviced by restaurant distributors Mm -hmm. um that also make up a big portion of our marketing pie. We also have these CSA boxes. uh, uh, And uh, those are very, uh, those are popular, a popular marketing Avenue for us now. And um, uh, we have, uh, let's see, what else do we do? We do, um, well, now we're doing online ordering and curbside pickup. So Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's where we are right now. We're about to begin our asparagus season. We're going to begin picking asparagus tomorrow. Oh, and uh, We are picking tulips today.
1: <laughs> oh, well, uh, th- that's wonderful. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's also great in this period to be uh, diversified in terms of the, uh, of the channels you sell to. Uh, our, our first thought, though, go obviously to the to the health of farm workers uh and i wanted to ask how is the situation at your farm and uh if you had any problems or issues and how uh, has this impacted your markets and your staff
0: well i'm gonna knock on wood here we haven't had many uh big problems we've had a few uh small issues regarding um you know, uh, adequate length of quarantine between, you know, where one mm-hmm. we've not had an employee contract the virus and we've um, and we had only one employee who had a family member who was never tested positive, but had many symptoms. So uh, that was the issue where we had, uh, we were the rest of the employees were making sure that that one employee, you know, served her two-week quarantine and didn't uh, come back to work. Uh, in any case, we've been spared primarily uh, anyone on our work workforce becoming ill and have been able to stay in business. Yeah. Um, and we've had to adapt uh, by – oh, we did no- notice – we quickly understood that our employees didn't want to uh, interact with a large number of customers coming into the store, so we mm-hmm. closed our store – uh, just the first few days of April, we closed the store for regular retail and have now opened only for online ordering with curbside pickup.
1: Yeah, and and it, it's really important, I think, to 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 listen to the signals of your employees, uh, not not have them be scared to go to work or to uh, to work on the farm. So uh, um, and you know you mentioned at the very beginning uh, your channels and the fact that you sell to restaurants as well uh, obviously there's been some consequences of these uh, um, pandemic that required adaptation and so what would you say are the most relevant consequences for you at wards
0: well they they they're dramatic they're very dramatic in the for that restaurant realm of our operation and we we have close interactions with many of the best chefs in boston and providence rhode island and we uh are feeling for all of them because they've been forced to close a few of them have uh have been quick on their feet and have uh done are doing some reasonable takeout business um and surviving that way but most have closed uh, and are and are drastically reduced, in the, mu- the number of dollars coming in. Mm-hmm. The uh, but the the, distribu- the distributors that supply them, and there are six or seven large distributors in Boston uh, that we work with closely. Are they're really suffering because yeah. some of them, besides the restaurants, a few of them specialize in institutions, the, the local colleges and. They're out of session, so those people are you know this is a dark time um, yeah. i'm uh, I'm hoping all will recover, and sometimes I wonder if that's even possible
1: yeah, I mean, I think we are all. Uh, trying to find the best solutions and, and 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 supporting overall the, the the people in the in the food system that are more impacted, of course. But yeah, as you said, for some uh, it, it's uh, it's been definitely uh, very very heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the topics we we discuss during this podcast are um, around food safety and and one of the consequences in general of the stretch of resources and new rules and restrictions uh is also that uh you might have an impact on the process of auditing on the certification processes as well uh did you observe any impact on safety and on certification protocols at the farm
0: well uh we have not felt a a change in certification protocols we um so we've been required to become come into compliance with something called the Food Safety Modernization Act. Yeah. And uh that it, it I dreaded having to uh go through this huge document to to uh become compliant, but mm-hmm. it has been a goal of the com- of our company for a bunch of years. It's I think it's about 10 years ago we were told about it. We are only about one or two years away from its, uh, enforcement. And, uh, so now we've tried to become fully compliant and generally speaking, what it requires is lots of, uh, training of your, your workforce about hand-washing training about, uh, not coming to work when you're not feeling well, uh, training about, um, well, we are uh, constantly trying to keep pests and things that may carry pathogens into the field um, away. So wildlife uh, needs to be c- excluded from your fields as much as you can. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you need to have a good rodent control in your packhouse. And, uh, and so there's lots of uh, sanitation requirements and these, this, the impetus of the Food Safety Modernization Act, uh, which I'll call FISMA, Fisma yeah, um, is, uh, yeah, the the impetus was these uh, foodborne illness outbreaks that cause that, like the spinach outbreak and some with cantaloupe that happened from large farms uh, in the West. A lot of smaller New England growers didn't want to be uh, to be burdened with this, but it's coming down the pipeline. So I guess the good, the good news is sanitation and hygiene have been on our radar and are, are very much in our minds all the time now when we're packing food. So uh, though we don't think we ever were putting forth anything that was dangerous, now we have a, a pretty ship uh, um operation as far as Food safety goes, and I know that many of those same practices are going to help with the reducing the possibility of a covid spread from our place. Mm-hmm. I also have been told that food surf food is not considered one of the many one of the likely uh, avenues that covid will spread from one person to another
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, there's no evidence that uh, food or food packaging have been, you know, uh, uh, a carrier of the of, of the virus. So uh, uh, that's, I mean, the, the the compliance with FISMA definitely is a decade long of uh, adaptation and rules. And I think that then related to that, because of this emergency, on the other side, the EPA seemed to have um, uh, a Uh, they communicated recently a temporary lift on on certain environmental restrictions that might not be directly linked to FISMA, but seem to go uh, a bit against the compliance that FISMA brings. So uh, do you foresee any consequences of these kind of lift of environmental restrictions from the EPA uh, on the operations, on the workers' health, or on farming in
0: general? Well, I don't think that any growers, I, I really would like to think that no growers would fall back into using, say, a hazardous material whose use was being restricted. Um, I, that that would be the sort of the bad scenario that maybe you're speculating might uh, might happen and I I know that here on our farm you know we consider soil health and soil stewardship a real priority and uh, and also all the people's health around mm-hmm. us but we are careful and when we have adopted a process practice that that uh is conserving the microbiology of my soil and not and keeping it lively and and flourishing we won't turn back and go towards something that would you know reduce that health soil health uh, even if there were money to be saved I could imagine that there's a couple scenarios on some large monoculture kind of farm where there would be a pesticide that may have been an old school pesticide that would be stronger and maybe less environmentally friendly that some grower would want to fall back to, but, 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 and hasn't used, but I really doubt it. I really doubt that that would happen. I don't think any growers, I mean, we all feel best when we, when we're progressing and, Mm -hmm. um, You know, we consider ourselves progressive growers and are conscientious about this the soil health and the quality of the water underneath our farm and uh, and the way we interact with the community. And I, so any improvements that we that have been, and there have been many, so the so the you know the choices for a applicator whether you 're an organic grower or not, we now have biological material uh, yeah we call them biocontrol so naturally occurring materials that have been found to be effective against many pests and so those are the choices that we select now they 're often a little bit more more uh, expensive, mm-hmm. but if they 're efficacious, then we use them
1: yeah, and on the long term it's definitely you know soil health and human health are In my opinion going hand hand in hand and uh, if you care about your soil as you I know you do uh, this will also be uh, uh, caring about uh, your workers and your consumers at the end so um, definitely Uh, in terms of supply what we also observed um, is uh, changes in consumer demand so um, uh, some categories some even some produce uh, uh, started to sell more perhaps for perceived health benefits so i wanted to ask whether you observed also some um uh, uh some increasing uh, sales or decreasing sales of specific products and if this uh shift rapid shift of demand uh is is kind of a, an issue uh in your operation or if you are not uh, observing that at all
0: uh oh, we're definitely observing shifts and uh it's they're, they make us they put a smile on your face because there are uh you know we sell product besides our own that we buy in in our store and especially off season now we're uh pretty nearly entirely product from warmer climates and uh it, it traditionally we would sell oh a, a few dozen avocados in a day And now we sell hundreds of avocados and mangoes. The same story. It would be a few dozen mangoes and hundreds are going out the door every day. So, and, uh, vegetables and fruit in general are flying through our store. We're selling four or five times what we normally sold for this season, uh, through our, this online ordering and curbside pickup. There's no shrink because we have, uh, no product lingering on a retail shelf uh, it's not being handled and pawed by many people it's being it's going directly in from a glove a boxed with a gloved hand into a bag and uh not, there's very little uh waste now so there's been uh a, a lot of advantages we've seen, but really uh surprising um, changes in habits. I'm hoping there's a general – the cha- The habit that's changing most significantly is that of people cooking, uh, mm-hmm. of cooking themselves. And, uh, you know, not to say I wish that they don't go back to restaurants, but I'm glad that they are learning to cook with uh, vegetables and fruit that they, in a way that they may not have done as seriously when they didn't have the time. I think now they have a little time to – and you know, explore a recipe and maybe develop, you know, knife skills and technique that uh, in the kitchen yeah. that uh, enables them to be a, a more, a more proficient cook, but also to uh, be a more passionate because they're now executing at a higher level. So I'm thinking that it's bringing up everybody's game, yeah. and uh, I'm hoping that, and I'm hoping that that will translate to. Uh, uh, yeah I mean I'm looking forward to teaching these people once again. and something that I think was lost by my generation which is knowing when the seasons are you know hopefully yeah. by buying the way they're buying they're gonna have to be, it will be reinforced to them that hey asparagus season is in May remember last mm-hmm. year and uh you know sweet corn is best in August and um those those uh th- those truths have been muddied by the by the constant availability from the chain stores of you know raspberries Everything. 365 days a year so yeah these I'd are some say. the habits that i hope they'll regain kind of yeah
1: and this seems also to be linked uh, uh to a reappreciation of the Local food supply chain, so that um, you are buying in season and you are buying more and more local, so that you've got less steps into the in, in the supply chain. You get the product uh, fresher. Uh, you get the ones in season. So definitely, there seem to be at least now a, a reappreciation. You you mentioned also the CSA programs, uh, uh, incredibly. Um, uh, there's an incredible increase in demand, uh, and uh, that would promote uh, the, the local food system. So I think this is also a good a good thing.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah.
1: So looking at the, we we come kind of coming at the uh, last part of the podcast, looking at the future. Um, and you mentioned already what uh, what you think might be uh, the future. Uh, so what kind of long term impacts? Uh, will this uh, this emergency have on the way you grow and sell food
0: um, well so in the sh- the long term i i think that there'll be well first of all well yeah i i guess in the for this season i am uh i'm aware that restaurants they the Opening of restaurants is still very up in the air. Whether or not that will happen this during our growing season, I don't know. So I will change my product mix so that uh, some of the more esoteric items that are fringe items for many people that would be cooking at home, say a French breakfast radish or mm-hmm. an heirloom tomato, uh, we'll probably grow a, f- a little bit less of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fortunate to be in the Northern part of the Northern hemisphere where I still have the opportunity to modify my planting schedule here. Mm-hmm. So we're doing that because we don't see quite as much demand from restaurants and we'll probably grow more regular red radishes and regular beefsteak tomatoes. So that, because we think that they may be, uh, more widely accepted. That's uh one little thing. I think, uh, yeah i i also know um that yeah that we may be omitting some products that require in the long term we're products that require the most hand labor because the labor to harvest is the most sort of precarious part of my my uh my farm right now we mm-hmm. We depend on 10 workers that come from out of the country that come every year. That program that's called the H-2A program, Mm -hmm. and there's many H-2A workers uh, brought in for agricultural labor. Um, That program was a little bit up up in the air for a while, but now it it has started and we just did get a few workers to come in. So we're expecting them for now, Um, but because labor issues are uh are going to they're always um labor availability is always an issue I don't have any issues at all with my labor force we uh I mean we hire and we train and not everyone makes the team but I I can't say enough about just the general great people I have around me the attitudes um they, I, they're young and they, uh, or they're youthful. Not all of them are young, but they're youthful and they have, Mm -hmm. um, uh, energy and, uh, and smarts that I really feed off of. And, uh, in any case I have a great workforce, but it's not always true that I have as many people as I need to harvest, say beans, which doing, uh, harvesting a bushel of beans is a, it's a project you need to be determined and it's not something that the average u.s worker has been aspiring to for their whole lives so this offshore worker group of workers that come in in my case they come from jamaica these guys they they understand that for a few months they're going to be harvesting pretty much all day but we try to mix it up and we try to treat them like family and they have Mm -hmm. a nice place to live and they uh They spend their day harvesting beans, but maybe those are the kinds of things that are going to change on our farm, that we may grow fewer beans because they take so much hand labor to pick, Mm -hmm. Um, and we also may mechanize. So we're beginning to talk about becoming more mechanized in in our harvest, and now there's the additional uh, advantage of potentially uh, safer because there are fewer hands touching it. Mm-hmm. A, a safer product when you machine harvest yeah. but this is not always the case though because machine harvesting is considered what may have caused that that spinach outbreak of e. coli years ago mm-hmm. uh it was a uh, caused by a feral pig whose uh droppings were not recognized by the machine that was harvesting the way yeah. a person would so there's a mm-hmm. there's a bone uh, A good side and a bad side there but those are some things that i see um in our future i also know and this isn't in our future it's in our present that we are uh you know i think that any that farmers that are struggling now have to become more nimble about where how they market we have a nice marketing pie but if i didn't I would sure be leaning even hard. We use social media to communicate mm-hmm. with our customers. If you're a, an older farmer, such as uh, now I have to call myself that I'm in my fifties <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, I lean on these young people that work for me to, to, they can really move some product with social media. They can get a message out in a hurry and, uh, they can, um, they can adapt. So we just, you just have to be very willing to adapt and willing to use a different mode of communication. And, uh, you know, I, I, I shudder to think that there are farmers just, you know, dumping product anywhere in the country, because I know that that there's still the same number of mouths to feed. Mostly. Uh, there's still the same number of mouths and meals being eaten. And so, we need to become more nimble yeah and then
1: uh, even probably there are even more uh, mouths to feed uh, to feed because of the uh, you know the increased demand on the food bank side and and so kind of matching supply and demand especially for right. the most vulnerable is uh, definitely something that we would need to improve
0: uh you know the last question right. i had yeah yeah yeah, go go ahead well well, that's a good what you mentioned about the food bank when i was thinking about this and what might be you know a a model to change our food system um in massachusetts uh, a few years ago the legislation was passed to just to support local agriculture by requiring the greater boston food bank the local food banks um to purchase uh a percentage of their food and I'm not positive it may be 10 or 12 percent of the food needed to come from local within the state mm-hmm. and uh that was to support local agriculture and it was a great I, a great idea I thought and that kind of legislation that will sort of open the doors to um to um to a more uh, uh, to a relationship between agriculture and Uh, the food banks, I think is, uh, I think it's a good thing. And I, we participate, we sell to the local food bank. Um, the price is, uh, not always the highest, but it's also Mm -hmm. not always the lowest. It's not a, they, they try to get, they'll pay a fair price. And, uh, and I feel good about feeding the needy in our communities. And there's a lot of needy right now. Yeah and
1: and you feed them with with healthy and fresh products
0: which is exactly. also important from a well, that, nutrition it, yeah. right and that's one of the things that the legislator legislature was trying to accomplish and that was i think brilliant
1: yeah absolutely i think that that is really i, I that was actually my last question on how to link supply and demand and and, and what legislation should be in place uh Perhaps uh, if you can mention or if you have an idea of technologies as well that could help uh, either solving this matching problem of supply and demand or any technology beyond what you mentioned already on on the mechanization that you think could help the food system uh, adopting long-lasting positive changes.
0: Okay, well, this is where I'm going to – I know – that there is technology that will help. It's definitely going to be on the software side of things because it's that making that link and making it smooth. So the link between either a, a large group of retail customers and a farm, and there probably should be mentioned an intermediary in there, which would be uh this home delivery. So there's these, there's a burgeoning home delivery businesses that are start that are starting around me. Uh, we've dealt with one called What's Good and another called Market Today, and they're so now they're reliant and we are reliant on software uh, to help streamline that communication between us and the customer. Um, so I would say that it's it's that kind of connectivity. Mm-hmm. um that is where the technology is most needed now I mean there's a, there's an ever evolving uh sort of the the mechanical things that farmers use that's technology that's always evolving but I I would say that this uh the the computer and the internet and connectivity are the things that to and using social media these are the things that uh if software can streamline and smooth um that will help a lot i'm working with a, uh, some people that are uh have a uh, commissary and they may produce so they may produce some meals that w- with our product that will then be handed off to a, uh To a a home delivery, to well, actually, one of the food distributors that we that was suffering from lack of restaurant business, who's now doing some home delivery, and they're also going to deliver to food banks. Mm. So we may that that's something that we're proposing, and we're in the midst of uh, maybe beginning to do. But that kind of cooperation, aided by the technology of you know, of connectivity, I uh, I think is where our future lies. On especially if you're in a suburban or a well-populated area mm-hmm. like I am, but I think even the rural farmer needs to not not eschew the the value of that that computer in front of them.
1: <laughs> for sure, for <laughs> sure,
0: definitely.
1: So, well, where can the audience learn more about your farm?
0: Well, they can go to our website, wordsberryfarm.com. They can, uh, uh, we're, uh, it's pretty well, um, well uh, developed, but we are always working on it. But we, uh, and we don't know, well, we do know that pick your own agriculture is going to be limited this year but it will be allowed in -hmm. Massachusetts. And so those kinds of visit to the farm, is going to be possible, but we may be asking people to uh, schedule a time that they come so that we can maintain the distance between people. Um, so that, yeah, we can control, we're going to meter how many people are on the farm at any given time this year. But, uh, I, yeah, I encourage people to visit wherever their local farm is, uh, because yeah. the fresh air will do them good and the farm can sure use their support. Yes, for sure. Well, thanks so much, Jim, for your time.
1: You're very welcome. And uh, for the audience, you can find this episode and subscribe to the Know Your Food series on Apple Podcasts or on our website at Ripe.io. Stay tuned for the next episode.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?